You're listening to the Colonial Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast in Kingsport, Tennessee. We are a community committed to prayer, radical hospitality, and intentional invitation. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols who could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's a variety of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but is the same God who activates all of them in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given the Spirit of the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, by the same Spirit, the gifts of healing. To another, the work of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the discernment of spirits. To another, all kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each individually just what the Spirit chooses. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into the one body. Jews are Greek, slave or free. We were made to drink of the one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one as he chooses. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many yet one body. And so the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be the weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God so arranged the body giving the greater honor to the inferior members that there can be no dissension within the body. But the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is the word of the Lord. This is a text you've heard many, many times in the church. We use it a great deal in ordination services, whether it's for the ordination of elders, as we're going to do here in a few minutes, or whether it's the ordination of clergy. And the fact is, I think we've used it so much that we often forget the context. And it's always to our danger if we don't remember the context of Scripture. 
If we take it and simply apply it without thinking about where it originally was, we will miss much of the point. Now, if you have a good memory, and I'm willing to bet that none of you actually remember this, a year ago in the ordination of elders, I used this same text. I told you we use it a lot for this purpose. It's not the same sermon. Yeah, it's similar, but it's not the same sermon. But it gives you an opportunity to hear again this discussion about the way we're supposed to function as church. But if you want to go back and talk about context, as I mentioned, you have to know that the context of the church in Corinth was not all that pleasant. The church in Corinth was a church in crisis. I work with a lot of churches in crisis, and I got to tell you, it's not all that much fun. There are a few members of the church in Corinth who feel that their particular gifts of ministry are so superior to everybody else's that they're the ones who are supposed to tell everybody else how it's supposed to work. Now, what Paul is trying to say here to the church in Corinth is there isn't superior and inferior. doesn't work that way. There are people who have different sorts of gifts, but there isn't superior. There isn't inferior. All the gifts are important. But the church in Corinth doesn't really believe that. So, yes, it's a church in crisis. Paul, who helps to found this church, writes this letter and this is one of several letters that Paul ends up writing. We blend them together into 1st and 2nd Corinthians. That's the way they were gathered. But there's more than one or two letters here. Wants the Corinthians to embrace this idea that there's a place in the church and the church's ministry for everybody. And that every gift that's given really is intended to bring to the whole, something we would not have without that particular gift. And Paul, as he does in several places, uses this wonderful analogy of body. And it's almost, you, you wonder, no, nobody really ever says this, but you got to wonder, is Paul speaking with a great deal of tongue-in-cheek? If the foot says to the hand, well, I'm more important than you, or vice versa, it doesn't work that way in an organic body, does it? We don't think about it in those ways. Paul is really using this to talk about this argument about who has the greatest spiritual gifts. Now, the problem, I think, in the church today is that you almost never hear anybody talk about any kind of spiritual gifts. I have yet to hear any one of you say, well, my spiritual gift is better than yours. You don't think about it like that. In fact, to our shame sometimes, we act as if we don't have a spiritual gift. You know, so our spiritual gifts aren't listed in Scripture. That doesn't mean you don't have one. Our problem, I think is not that we think we're superior. We think we haven't been given anything. And so, therefore, we wonder what we can really contribute to the life of the church. 
And we walk around acting like we're inferior to those folks who know what they can do. But Paul wants us to understand this really, truly does apply to all of us. It's not just for elders who are going to be set apart by ordination today, although certainly it is for them, but it's for all of us. I want to lift up kind of three pieces of this idea of the body of Christ today. It's not new. You've heard it all before in some capacity, but it always behooves us to hear it again, especially if we can find a way to really begin to put it into practice. And so the first thing that I would want to lift before you is that God's gifts really are given to all believers. Now, I know right now that there are a handful of you saying in the back of your minds, I'm not sure God gave me any gifts. I'm not sure God gave me any gifts. I don't believe that. More importantly, the scripture says it's not true. Everybody has some kind of a gift and it is a sacred trust. You're not just denying the church whatever your gift is. And if you haven't discovered it yet, for heaven's sakes, let's help you find it. It's not just something that you can do for the church at large, but it's a sacred trust that God gave you. And maybe God gave it to you and not to many others. And we need that. We have all kinds of talents and abilities, some of which we think of as being natural, that we don't often label as spiritual gifts. There's a lot of lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. You've seen them. We've actually done them in studies before in this congregation. But it doesn't simply mean that that's all that there is. And so if we do the normal listing, wisdom and knowledge and faith and healing and miracles and prophecy, you say, well, I don't have any of those. It's just part of the list. He never meant it to be exhaustive. The problem in Corinth is what they really want to do is they want what I'm going to refer to as the more flamboyant gifts. We have people who, in whatever it meant for that group, speak in tongues. Well, if you can't do that, you're not nearly as good a Christian as I am. And Paul says, baloney. That's ridiculous. What good does it do you to speak in some language nobody else understands unless somebody can interpret it? And of course, Paul's great counter to this falls immediately after this 12th chapter. And that's the one we all know and think about for Valentine's Day, though it really has to do with the church. It's the chapter on love. Because love becomes the greatest gift of all. The thing about this spreading of gifts of all sorts among us is it's never intended for anyone to say, my gift's better than yours or your gift's better than mine. It's intended to say, we're all in this together. There's not a hierarchy here. It's meant to bring us together as God's people. 
Paul recognizes we really are very different people. It's just the nature of the church. We all have our strengths. We all have our weaknesses. We all have our likes and our dislikes. We look at the world differently, and that's okay. No, it's more than okay. Because what Paul says is that God made us that way to pull us into a fellowship where there is this broader view of the world. Isn't that a glorious idea? Isn't it a wonderful thought that we don't all have to look and sound exactly alike to be a valuable piece in the church? The gifts are never given for self-aggrandizement, even though some of them are a bit more flashy than others. They're meant to build up. It's for the common good. There are a variety of gifts, but it's the same spirit. It's not enough that God has given each one of us a gift. It's not enough that we may have some great vision for the church. The question becomes whether or not that gift or that vision is really going to be used for the betterment of all sort of a personal aside. One of the things I've discovered working in the church over a long time is that there's no way that the pastor of a church knows everything and we're frequently wrong. And so one of the things that you depend on is a body of folk called a session who can help even out those ideas. I will not list them, but I could give you a host of really terrific ideas I've had. And you never heard about them. (laughs) And you didn't hear about them because they did not in that moment serve to build up the body. And that is exactly as it should be. We really are supposed to be in this together. It is for the common good. We're in this individualistic society where we want to do stuff just for us or just for my team or whatever. That's not the church. That can't be the church. Even when we're convinced we are right, it is the voice of the whole that must push us and lead us, for if it does not benefit the whole, then it is less than useful. You see, the reality and the nature of the church is that whether we like it or not, we really are dependent on others. The old uh, uh, dependent on the kindness of strangers. Well, in this case, it's not strangers. It's the people who live and function around us. We need each other. We need the gifts that the other brings. If we are to be the church, really to be the church, if we're to grow as individual Christians, if we're to become this body that Paul envisions, then we have to have everybody's participation. And, you know, the uh, the last thing I would bring up, and this is no surprise because it fits like a hand in a glove with what we've already said, there is no unimportant gift. 
Some of you have heard me speak before of a woman named Mary Chapman. None of you knew her. I say that name and somebody say, oh, you meant Mary Chambers. No, Mary Chambers was here. Mary Chapman was in Banner Elk. I even get confused and mess up their names occasionally. Both are now deceased. But Mary Chapman was in her 90s when I came to know her. She could still get to church most Sundays. Um, And in those days, about the only thing she felt she could do in the life of the church was when worship was over, she'd go through the pews and she'd pick up bulletins and she'd pick up communion cups. Well, the time came when she couldn't even do that anymore. Mary had come to Banner Elk as an RN in that small rural hospital. And in those days, unmarried nurses lived in the hospital. She went off to World War II served in the United States military, married, came home, continued to serve as a nurse, never had children so far as I know, lost a husband, lived alone. And after a while, she became so homebound that she couldn't even pick up the bulletins anymore. And I hear this a lot with our elderly. Well, I'm just not much use anymore, she'd say. There's just nothing left I can do. And I would tell her, you know, as you're supposed to, no, you're a valuable part of the community. But Mary decided, and she didn't have to wait on me, Mary decided that the one thing she could do is she could single out people within the church and the community and she could pray for them. And she did. She had quite a prayer list. And so eventually, I think maybe I finally was able to say to Mary, Mary, it may be that your praying is more important than all the busy work everybody else is doing. Do you believe that? I watched her week after week. She wanted to be active. She took the final last gift she believed she had. She was the intercessor for the community. Don't you think we'd all be a little better off if we did more praying and less fussing? What do you think? (laughs) We've heard Paul's discussion about body. You've heard the lesson. One part can't say it's more important or less important. There are no unimportant parts. But we really do need even those little things that we don't always see to make the church function at its best. We're going to ordain elders here in just a minute, and then in second service we will install an even larger group. And as important as those folks' jobs are in the life of the church... They're not going to be able to do it without you. Some of it is they need your physical help. But an awful lot of it is they need to know that you back what they will do. That you will uphold them and their work. I look around this room and I see an awful lot of you who've been elders before. You know it's not an easy task. 
To my knowledge, there's no giant something awful hanging out there over this church. We're in pretty good shape right now. But it doesn't make the life of an elder any easier. And so for these folks who are going to be ordained, they need you. They need your prayer. They need your participation. They need you to step up when they ask the question, who will fill in the blank? They really do. We have been given this enormous, enormous set of abilities, gifts, talents. God would have us use them all. And it may be that you haven't quite figured out which talent you want to lift up yet. I know you've got it. It's a matter of you, with God's help, figuring out what it is and how you can be a part of this body of Christ and really, truly make that huge difference as we go forward in ministry through this year, through next year, and through all the years that are to come. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Colonial Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. For more information about our faith community, visit us online at chpres.org.